Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is it. The time has come. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Push him down. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night with Gareth A. Davies. You're better than that. On Talk Sport. I'm Gareth A. Davis, and you're listening to the Fight Night podcast for Talk Sports. On this week's show, Spencer Oliver joins me and in the first hour we reacted to the maelstrom the turmoil around the collapse of the Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury undisputed heavyweight title fight we picked the bones out of the last week and a half with all the news August the 7th, August the 14th. It's a very bad secret that the fight's happening in Saudi Arabia. To be honest with you, I don't mind giving you that information. That is it! There is no way, surely, he can get up from that! This is going to be the biggest sporting event ever to grace the planet Earth. It is over! A sizzling AJ reminder as he retains his world heavyweight belts. Anyone for Joshua Fury and a double dose in 2021? Yes, please. And I cannot wait, repeat, cannot wait to smash Anthony Joshua. Uh, Deontay Wilder, who's been down, who's been absolutely pummeled, and the towel comes in! The towel comes in! The rematch that Fury and Wilder had in February, in that contract, it had the right for the loser to ask for an immediate rematch. Tyson Fury has done the remarkable. He has stopped the unbeaten, the ferocious Deontay Wilder. Everyone was aware there was an arbitration situation, and Anthony Joshua was aware of that, as was natural. If you'd have fought Deontay Wilder before September, or try and agree um, a massive, massive step-aside fee for Wilder to disappear, which isn't going to be an easy thing to do. Well, what an extraordinary week in the world of heavyweight boxing. A year ago, it was on 50-50. Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury for the undisputed title. Six days ago, five days ago, three days ago, we are devoting half of our show tonight to pick over the bones of this monstrous mess in the heavyweight division. Or is it really? Spencer Oliver... How are you? A very good evening. Yeah, Gareth, I'm doing really well, mate. 
devastated at the news that this fight looks like it's collapsed. You know, like you say, it's been a year in the waiting. This has been a long, long build-up. We've been looking forward to it. We've been waiting for dates. We've been hearing dates. We got the... Sem- we started off actually in July. We thought it was going to be in July, beginning of July. Then it went mid-July, end July, 7th of August, 14th of August. We thought, right, we're there. We've got it. It's on. And then car crash. It's all over. Um, devastated, if I'm totally honest. It's something that I was really looking forward to. Look, I was in the gym, actually, last... Last week with Anthony Joshua, he was still training hard. He said he was still waiting for the date, but he was expecting the 14th to be the date. You know, he they were convinced it was it was happening. He was he was in tip top condition for um, Joshua. I mean, really tip-top condition. It's a devastating blow to him as well, as well as Fury. You know, these guys thought they were getting it on, and this arbitration now has thrown a real spanner in the works, and it looks like now we're going to get Fury versus Wilder, the trilogy. Well, more to come on that in a little while, because I've been speaking to Bob Arum. A little tease there on that one later. But you go back to December, okay? We, we had the 50-50 announcement last June. The fight is on. The fight is on. A two-fight deal, or the or the undisputed title is on a two-fight deal, and then we get to December. Fury doesn't have a fight in December, which kind of makes sense now, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, he was due to fight a week before Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua defends his belts against Kubrat Pulev very successfully, looking like a new man in lots of ways. More developments, more finessed, more patient. Behind the jab, looking very promising, finishes Pulev in the post-fight press conferences. Eddie Hearn says we're we're getting around the table on Monday. Five months later, back and forth and back and forth, both boxers fairly quiet, both saying they want it, both sides kind of saying it's moving forward, it's moving forward. Eddie Hearn making jokes about that he's saying in two weeks' time, in two weeks' time. But last week... We all felt that we were on the cusp of this happening. And no one, no one, Spencer, really, I'm not saying no one, because there were people in the background, people like Frank Warren and others, people hinting to you, hinting to me um, in the background, that there was this still this arbitration mm-hmm. to get over. And yep. then we get the bombshell on Monday night, broken by Chris McKenna of the Daily Star. I'll give him his credit for that. Sure. Um, and that the fight now is off. Sure. And you're right, Gareth, go back to December when Joshua was meant to be fighting and, um, you know, and, and the fight was then called through legal proceedings. He didn't go through with the fight. We <sighs> thought then it had been sorted. You know, we'd heard from Bob Arum. And we, you know, we'd, we'd heard from Eddie Hearn and we'd heard from Frank Warren and they all said, yep, this situation is now sorted. It's free to fight. It's, it's free to go ahead. And yeah, this 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 arbitration has just been a you know a devastating blow to everyone involved. Now I was with Eddie Hearn actually last week, no, like, like a couple of weeks ago in fight camp, Derek Jazora when he boxed Joseph Parker. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there, and we, as you know, because we're all in fight camp together, and you know how we've got a lot of downtime. We all sit there and we all chat about proceedings, what's going on. Eddie was convinced this fight was happening. He was convinced it was happening on the 14th. It's a devastating blow for everybody. Like I said, I know Joshua was convinced the fight was happening, as was Fury. Um, It just seems to be in a lack of communication. This is what I can't get my head around. Now, Frank Warren was... Was every all parties were sure that this fight was going on, but at what point did they not pick up on this arbitration? It was still going ahead. Legal proceedings were still happening, you know, because 
there's a lot of work gone into this, as you know, Gareth, to make a fight of this magnitude with, with what was on the line, the undisputed world heavyweight title, there was a lot of work going on. And that was, you know, over in Saudi, you know, they've been putting a lot of work over there. I know Eddie Eddie Hearn's been working his backside off, as a, had MTK, Bob Arum, and, and all parties involved. For this to just fall to pieces like this, I, I find it to sort of... I can't work out how the... The communication broke down between these lot, you know, with this arbitration still hanging over them because everybody, all parties seem to think it was all sorted. So, you know, where was... Well, where... the wording, the the, the retired uh, judge that are, was the arbiter in this case in the United States, Daniel Weinstein, has been, um, he's been involved in boxing cases before and he looked at the wording and he believed that Wilder still had the right to a third fight yeah. because or well, not a third fight but the fact is there was a rematch clause Deontay Wilder he agreed to the rematch within I think seven or eight days sure um, they were going to fight in July last year if you remember and Covid yeah. got in the way they were going to fight in October and then December um, but Wilder had surgery as well on a biceps mm. injury um, then we've, we we heard from Bob Arum and Tyson Fury, that they were moving on. Tyson Fury, I recall, said, I'm not fighting him. Remember, Wilder came out sure. with a lot of uh, insinuations and allegations about Tyson Fury, about his corner, about his drink was spiked, how he sure. wasn't right on the night. Um, oh, listen, it was a brilliant performance. We were there for talk sports. We were, comment we were doing commentary on the event. It was an amazing mm -hmm. event. And in a weird way... All that's happened is, apart from Anthony Joshua defending uh, one of his mandatories, we've just gone back a year. Yeah, absolutely. We've just rewound a year. Well, Gareth, here's, here's the problem I've got, is that this fight, when it didn't happen in December, through um, Deontay Wilder going really silent, said that he was still injured, the fight was off, and we, we was under the illusion that actually the fight that Deontay Wilder's contract had expired. Now, I'd spoke to Frank Warren about this. I spoke to Eddie Hearn about it. And, and I think they all felt that the contract had expired. And, and so he had run out of time and there was going to be no third, uh, third fight because they were going to move on. Now, I can't see... This is, the, this is what I'm tr struggling to get my head around. You know, that all parties felt that that contract was now void. And they'd moved on. There's a lot, as I said, there's a lot of work gone into this. But it was a the great white elephant in the room. That's the problem. It was. It, it you always know, there, was. You cannot, you cannot second guess someone like Al Heyman, who represents Deontay Wilder. That they had, you know, their lawyers working on the contract as well, and that when they brought it and when they went into arbitration, that Daniel Weinstein was not going to rule indefatigably mm. towards Tyson Fury. So, and and that's what's happened. I think, you know. In some ways, you know, the, the, the outpouring of exasperation and frustration, not, not just from fans, but from all of us in the industry, because let's not forget, this is the biggest British fight in history, the greatest purse we've ever seen, or site fee, or whatever you want to call it, $150 million, £110 million being put into the, into the pot for this event, for me, not ideally in Saudi Arabia, but money talks and the big fights always go where the money is. This is the biggest of the biggest mm. of fights. The undisputed heavyweight title. The blue ribboned event of the sport itself. There's boxing and there's heavyweight boxing. No other aspect of boxing, unless it's a Mayweather or a Pacquiao or McGregor, demands these kind of sums. They are the two richest fights that we've had in history. 600 and 700 million dollars, those two fights, 
generated. But this was the richest fight mm. in British boxing history. I believe it should have happened at Wembley Stadium. I still believe they'll go to Saudi Arabia if both men win their interim fights. And we believe that Anthony Joshua will defend his WBO title against Alexander Usyk. We know that Eddie Hearn, Frank Smith and that crew at Matchroom are working on that fight as we speak. Um, but the problem is... If both of these men lose, or one of them loses, we don't get them for a while. We don't get them at the peak time. And it's a great travesty right now. Absolutely. I don't think we get it at all if one of them loses. And, and they're not foregone conclusions. You know, Joshua versus Alexander Usyk. Usyk's really unproven at heavyweight. All right, he didn't look particularly great when he beat Derek Jazora last time out, but he's still developing. He's, he's still moving up in weight. And he could be a tricky task for Anthony Joshua. He's, he moves around a lot. He's got good head movement, good foot movement. So it's not a foregone conclusion. And Deontay Wilder, going into that trilogy fight when that happens and that looks like that's going to happen sometime in July if it does happen that's not a foregone conclusion because we know what Deontay Wilder hits like forget what Joshua done um, what Fury done to him last time it's not a foot heavyweight boxing look at the, you know Povetkin versus Dillian White we didn't expect that he knocks him out heavyweight boxing it can all turn around and Wilder's got the punch next on the pod we caught up with Dan Raphael from the United States on the heavyweight challenges and what's next for the three fighters Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. It's been a masterclass from Anthony Joshua who will be celebrating at the final bell. What a performance under pressure from AJ and he delivers an emphatic Points victory, there can be no doubt. It could end right here, right now. Kenny Bayliss watching on closely, and Fury is unloading, and the referee is close to stopping it. He's thinking about it, and now he does, as the towel came in from the German corner, and Fury wins spectacularly in round two. Well, what a night of drama that was. And what a week of drama we have had. And there is no one better, in my view, and I want to know what he's had for dinner, because we always ask, I always ask my friend Dan Raphael, the Nat Fleischer Boxing Writer Award winning, brilliant, brilliant journalist joins us now, Spencer. Dan, how are you? What was for dinner? Hey, guys. Hey, Dan. Good to be on with you. Uh, Gareth, it's only 5.40 in the afternoon here. We haven't even contemplated. Dinner's probably not for like another, maybe like at least another couple hours. Dan, I've got to tell you, Gareth's on dessert by 5.40 over here. <laughs> Dan, I've got to ask you. So you've come to disappoint you just like we do on our, our YouTube videos. I, I have no dinner report, my friend. I know. You gave us one the other day, though, um, and it was brilliant. Um, Listen, you have covered... Um, the last week, brilliantly, um, uh, you know a lot about uh, the arbitration case. Um, you've you've outlined that on your Fight Freaks um, uh, newsletter. I, I read it with avid interest. Um, what a Spencer and I have spent the last half an hour picking the bones out of the last year, really, Dan. It's been an extraordinary week uh, in the heavyweight boxing scene, hasn't it? It really has, and uh, there probably could have been a lot of angst and problems and issues avoided had Fury just honored the rematch clause immediately with Wilder, had Joshua just done the mandatory with Usyk, as has been overdue for quite a while, 
And at that point, there'd have been no problems if they win to go do uh, the undisputed fight, which frankly is going to is going to be what it, what happens anyway, as long as they win uh, the upcoming fights. No guarantee, obviously, but uh, everybody would have saved a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of raw emotion had they just done what they were supposed to do in the first place. There's a lot of precedent in boxing for these kind of things happening. You outlined brilliant, and you can maybe tell us now. This happened years ago, uh, 2001, I think I'm right in thinking, when Hasim Rachman uh, knocked out Lennox Lewis in uh, South Africa and wanted to fight Mike Tyson, didn't he? But there was a ruling then by an arbitration court in New York, a federal court in New York, wasn't there? There was a little bit different. This was a binding arbitration that was done privately. That was a, a, a legal case that was brought in the Southern District of Federal Court in New York City. Uh, so the, the, the process was different. That was an actual trial. This was the two sides, you know, dealing with the arbitrator. But the result was the same. If people remember, Lennox Lewis got knocked out by Rockman and the lost heavyweight championship in South Africa. There was a rematch clause that said that Lennox, uh, if he exercised the right to the rematch, Rockman had to fight him again within 150 days. Obviously, Lennox Lewis exercised that option. Hasim Rockman saw dollar signs all over the place, as did uh, uh, the you know uh, you know the, the possibility of a fight with Mike Tyson. It was obviously a very big name and would have made a lot of money in that kind of fight. Uh, Lennox Lewis sued Rockman to to force the rematch clause. They went to court, and what they did was uh, Lennox and uh, the late great trainer Emmanuel Stewart, who was on Lennox's team, and others. They testified that because Lennox Lewis was 35 years old, that is his skills were in decline and that it was imperative that he get the rematch immediately or there'd be irreparable harm to his career. Um, and the judge listened to the cases on both sides and ruled in favor of Lennox Lewis. Rockman was told that he could either, either had to fight Lennox in the rematch immediately, or the second option that he had was he could sit for 18 months and not fight anybody. And obviously if you're Hasim Rockman, you've just won the heavyweight championship. The idea of sitting on your rear end for 18 months uh, and not make any money. And lose and the belts. The title. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So he had really kind of no option. They went through with the rematch. He got knocked out. And the interesting thing is it relates to the case that just occurred between uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder in their arbitration that was ruled upon this past Monday was that in his ruling, the uh, arbitrator, who is an experienced boxing uh, uh, person, has handled various cases, a retired judge named Daniel Weinstein, he cited the Lennox Lewis lawsuit against Rockman as part of his ruling mm. in favor of Deontay Wilder, who also was 35 mm. years old. And in his ruling said in one of the quotes there that, that if he didn't get the immediate fight with Fury, that his career would be irreparably harmed. And so therefore um, they are going to do that third fight. I mean, and, and frankly, uh, you guys know this, it wasn't yeah. that once they, uh, once they got a commitment that they were going to do the fight and the arbitrator ruled making the deal was not complicated because those terms were largely set forth in the rematch clause that was in the contract that Wilder was bringing him to arbitration about in the first place. So sure. there was no issue. It's a 60-40 split, and everybody knew that going in. So those, those uh, negotiating issues are not there. They, they were able to quickly do a deal. Dan, take us back to December. So when this fight was originally meant to happen, Deontay Wilder-Tyson Fury trilogy, Fury was up for the fight. <laughs> he was in shape. Deontay Wilder seemed to vanish. 
off the face of the earth. Fury was showing his frustration, and then obviously he felt that the fight had gone away. I spoke to Frank Warren about this as well. Frank Warren felt the same as well, and they uh, they felt that the contract had expired. Even Bob Arum come on Talk Sport actually saying the same thing that so everybody was under the illusion that the fight, you know, Deontay Wilder fight had disappeared, and he was not being very vocal at all either. Wilder, he was very quiet in the, in this as well. This fight has now been going on for the best part of six months or five or six months. This build up now to Joshua Fury. Why has it taken so long? Why has Wilder not been vocal about it at all? And why didn't he take that fight in December when he was meant to? Well, I think as far as not being vocal about it, I think when you're in the middle of an arbitration case, uh, silence is the best course of action. I don't think anybody... Well, it's worked for them, that silence, Dan, hasn't it? That silence has worked for them. You know, Al Heyman, one of his co-managers, never speaks anyway to to the media or publicly, so he had nothing to say about it. Deontay... I'm sure was told to be quiet about it because everybody knows that Deontay, when he wants to talk, he sure can talk. And Shelly Finkel, his other uh, co-manager, who's a veteran of this sport for you know the probably going on 40 years, he knows when to keep his mouth shut. Also, and you know it would serve them absolutely no purpose whatsoever to go out there and rant and rave. They knew, they believed, and they turned out to be right. They had a case. They let the the legal action take its course, and and they prevailed. So that's probably the reason why you didn't hear anything from Wilder, who was off, you know, busy. You know, trying to get in shape and train, and uh, and work with uh, you know his uh, you know his assistant trainer Malik Scott on uh, mm-hmm. and his techniques, and try to get better. Remember this fight between Wilder and Fury. The third fight was originally ticketed for last July. Sure, but uh, Dan, what, 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 the, the question I was I was asking was the fight was originally meant to be happening in December. I think that both parties well, July, time, October, in December. Yeah, December. But no, but I mean, I think there was. But everybody felt it was going to happen then, especially Fury was in big training then. We all thought it was going to happen in December and, and Wilder seemed to just disappear and I think that's where, you know, people are sort of struggling to see, you know, what happened to him. Why didn't he take the fight at that time? What was the reason for that and why has it taken so long now for this all to be sorted? I, I don't think he disappeared. I think he may have disappeared from public view, but that doesn't mean his people weren't behind the scenes mm. trying to work things out. Remember, they, they fought in February 2020. Pandemic starts, you know, a couple of months later. The hope was they would do the fight in July. They realized that there was no chance to have a big crowd. When you have a fight like Fury versus uh, Wilder 2 and it generates about $17 million in ticket sales, you, and you can't now have a crowd, you cannot replace that revenue. So yeah. now they yeah, sure. agree to push the fight into the fall. They push the fight into the fall, like September, October. They still can't have a crowd. Then they want to do it later in the month. There's a problem with the date because of the broadcaster you know, conflicting with various uh, American college football games, which they did not want to compete with uh, of their own broadcaster by going on pay-per-view. Now Fury is upset. He feels like the time frame has expired. They feel like they have a case. He can go fight in January. They remember there was the talk about him fighting, you know, Ajit Kabiel from, from Germany, the European champion. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, they then, uh, the Fury, uh, the Wilder side brought the case. Now, remember, it didn't automatically, the reason it took so long is it didn't just go to the arbitration. Before that, their contract called for any, any, any disputes to be uh, clarified by mediation. So they went to the mediation and they did the process of that. That did not produce a resolution. The next course of action, if they couldn't produce a resolution in mediation, was to go to binding arbitration, which is what they then did. That is not the kind of thing that I've learned does not happen in the course of a week. It took a couple of months. You know, Aram and Fury flew to California. They did their uh, uh, session with the arbitrator. The other people involved had to meet with them also. You know, it takes a little bit of time. Then the the judge, of course, had to go through and think things out and do his ruling, write his report, nine-page report. And uh, 
you know, it took time. Ten. In the meantime, yeah. hold on, their their side is telling the Joshua side, Eddie Hearn, don't worry about this. That's fine. So meanwhile, Eddie's off trying to close up the undisputed deal, and obviously it was a bigger problem that they had let on. Dan, um, no, no, very, very well explained. Um, look, um, I had Bob Arum on the show a little while ago, where, and he was saying they expect to announce the fight early next week. Um, we understand that the splits are already done, sixty forty. Um, they need to work out the guarantees. Um, they're looking at, as you know, T-Mobile, the Allegiant Stadium, uh, or the MGM Grand. He's absolutely. I think saying that this fight is on, is that your final understanding from where you are right yeah. now that this fight is going to be officially announced next week and we on for, and we are on for July the 24th. I mean, I, I can't say it's definitely next week, although that would make sense, but without question, this is the fight that they're planning to do. Uh, you know, I am told that, that everybody's agreed to it. I think somebody had said to me that, that the Wilder side had actually already signed documents. Uh, you know, look, it's Gareth, you and I have been down this road a thousand million yep. times. Yep. I don't ever say anything until the paper is signed, and sometimes I don't believe it until they're standing across the ring from each other, yep. you, know, you know, in that 20-by-20-foot 20 square. However, mm-hmm. in, in, in this instance, because of all the stuff that's gone on, you know, I do believe that come uh, July 24th is the target date. You know, that's where they're planning to do it. If it's switched by a week or so or two weeks or whatever, whatever. But I think this summer we're seeing the third helping of, Wilder versus Fury, and on the same, uh, by the same token, probably sometime August, we're going to see Anthony Joshua in his mandatory uh, against Alexander Usyk, which the WBO formally ordered today. Yes, Eddie Hearn had sought an extension until Monday to talk some things over with uh, Joshua and his team, but the Usyk team rejected that and and made a big stink with their back and forth with the letters, which I wrote about in my newsletter the other day. Um, and the WBO said no more delays. You have 10 days to make a deal or there's a purse uh, bid. It's it's no less than 80-20 in Joshua's favor. And uh, I suspect we're going to see that fight also later this summer. Brilliant insight there, Dan. Thanks so much for that. Listen, just finally, mate, I want to ask you about Josh Taylor versus Jose Ramirez, undisputed light, light um, super lightweight title. How big a deal, deal is it over in the States? Has, has it got everybody going over there? I mean, boxing fans are certainly interested in it. I don't think it's it's uh, crossed over into the mainstream, which is unfortunate because it's on a very big broadcaster in uh, ESPN, uh, where I just spent many years working. Um, but it's in a, it's because of the the capacity restrictions that still exist in a lot of places in the United States. They only have uh, a venue where they're going to have maybe, if they're lucky, about a thousand fans. Kind of sort of like when Anthony Joshua fought the Kubra Pulev fight, they only have allowed to have about a thousand fans at the uh, at the Wembley Arena um, and so this fight hasn't I don't think caught on in the mainstream even though for my money and Gareth and I have talked about this like on some of the videos we've done this is one of the best fights you can make in the whole sport yep. it's a fantastic match sure. between two, two tremendous champions equal in terms of the number they both have two belts they're both unbeaten they both are in the 2012 Olympics uh, you know they both uh, you know have have good fan followings I mean it's just a great matchup and uh, it's super significant and it should be in the ring frankly which is the most important thing should be one hell of a fight absolutely but, uh, you know, it happens it doesn't knock caught fire like I would have hoped it would have 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, up next on the show, we caught up with Chris Eubank Jr., who had plenty to say about how he is destined to fight for world titles in the coming year. I was a man on a mission. I went over there during COVID to to make the best of a bad situation. I couldn't fight. Um, all I could do was learn. You know, I, I, I wanted to improve. I didn't want to go stale like a lot of fighters did. I didn't want to, you know, sink into bad habits. So, uh, you know, I found a fresh new coach in, in Roy Jones and I just, I, I soaked everything up, you know, and, you know, it, it's, I'm still in the process of learning the teachings and I believe I'm getting better and better with each month. Yeah, Chris, I, I thought it was a really impressive performance. We spent a week with you up there and you talked a lot, actually, about how Roy Jones had, had rubbed off on you, how you just connected with him and how you, more importantly, respected him as a fighter. And for the first time probably in your career, you listened to him more than any other. And that showed in your performance. Definitely, yeah. You know, it, it's when you've got when you've got a man like Roy Jones Jr., who you've... You know, idolized and looked up to your entire career as you know, all the way from being a kid. To have him in your corner, you know, you you can't not listen to the instruction. You can't not follow what he's telling. Um, so uh, having him there, having a new you know, a new set of eyes and ears and and a new mind has uh, has brought a lot to the table. And I'm I'm just um, I'm blessed to be in the position I'm in. Has he changed things, um, kind of in you? How you? approach the sport i know how dedicated you are obviously and you're from incredible fighting stock incredible fighting blood it's in your dna but has he changed things in the way that you now think about boxing chris that's that's what i think it is mainly the, the main changes have been in my in my thinking and my mental uh way of going about things um you know how i approach 
training sessions, how I approach fights. You know, I'm thinking a lot more about what I'm doing when I'm in the ring. You know, before I was kind of on autopilot, I was just on beast mode, get in there, search and destroy. Um, now I have a lot more, you know, thoughtfulness to my, to what I'm doing. There's a lot more method to the madness. Uh, and, you know, not to say that the madness isn't still there because it is, <laughs> I can turn sure. it on whenever I want, but it's, you know, it's a lot more, there's a lot more planning that goes into things now. And, uh, I think that that's going to add years onto my career, to be honest I was, I was going to ask you that, Chris. You're now 31 years of age. You, you, you're, you're no longer the prospect. You're now the guy that, you know, we're talking about, will he win a world title? World title? Will he get over the line? Do you think adding Roy Jones to your armour at this stage of your career can still make that difference? And, and how long do you see yourself before you box for that world title again? Um, you know, listen, having Roy Jones there, it's, it's, only, it's only positive. It's only pluses. Um you know, I'm, I'm learning, and he's and he's helping me to do the things I want to do. Um, you know, I will be boxing for a world title this year, probably at the end of the year. Um, and you know, 2022, we're going to go and try and get Canelo. I want GGD at the end of the year. That would be that's the dream. That's what we're trying to get. You know, he's he's been very inactive lately, and it's, he's hard to get hold of. Um, if we can't get him, you know, there's plenty of other world champions out there. I just want to be active. The main thing is for me is to be active, fight big names, big fights, titles, um, and, and stay active because obviously, you know, I, I've been very inactive over the last couple of years, so I have to make up for the uh, the lost time. So, Chris, brilliant to hear that you're chasing Canelo and Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, as you mentioned there. Who are you headed towards for this world title fight towards the end of the year? Well, you know, there's, there's 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 a load of middleweight world uh, world champions at the moment. Um, you know, you've got your Charlo, your Andrade, your Morata, uh, Golovkin. You know, the, any of these guys, I'm, I'm in contention to fight these guys. So it's just it's just a matter of you know getting pen to paper, and that and that will happen by the end of this year. You saw you saw the performance from Canelo, um, the win over Billy Joe Saunders. It was a it was a very impressive win. He just sort of, he was very calculated. He took his time. He he waited for the opportunity and, and and he took Billy Joe Saunders out. How would you beat someone like Canelo, Chris? What would the tactics be going in there? Would you have to meet fire with fire? Would you try and beat him tactically? How would you get victory over him? I mean, that that's what you have to do. You know, all these guys, they're going in there and they're, they're beat before they're even the, the bell goes. You well, know? they're trying to run yeah, away, they're, aren't they? They're well, not run away, but they're trying to box on the back foot. And when you get let someone like Canelo get momentum, then he really gets into a rhythm. So, do you think it would be better taking the fight to him, trying to break his rhythm? Is that are you saying you think you'd win? Absolutely. You know, he's shown time and time again. If you just let him come at you and you just try and survive, you're not going to win. One, because if you, the only way to to beat him, you're not going to beat him on points. Because you know he's he's a, he's a powerhouse, so you don't. I don't know why you would try and go to points anyway, because it's going to be hard to get a decision. You you want you want to actually take it to him. You want to hurt him. You want to get his respect so that he stops trying to load up on you. And these guys are dancing around the ring. They're just trying to get away from him for twelve rounds. I don't understand it. You know, my 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 game plan would be to take the fight to him, to be just as much of an animal as he is to them. And, and be the same to him, and 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 see how he holds how how he holds up. Because 
you know, he's just used to guys running away. What did you make of um, Billy Joe Saunders' performance uh, against Canelo for those first seven and a half rounds then? I mean, you know, Canelo was was really... I was actually surprised at how little he was doing. Um, you know, I, fe- I felt like if he, had, if he had pushed it, if he had pressed him earlier, he would have got him out of there. Mm. Um, you know, he, he kind of, you know, he was happy to kind of just stroll forward, you know, every once in a while, you know, land some nice clean shots and then just kind of, you know, look at his, look at what he's done and, and let Billy dance around and, and run off and, you know, and he come back and, you know, eventually it just caught up with him. It wasn't a great performance. He was very accurate, very strong. Um, but yeah, you know, he caught, he caught Billy with a, a shot in the eighth. He, he'd been trying to land that punch from the get-go. And, and as soon as he landed something clean, uh, Saunders didn't want any more and he, and he quit. So, yeah, know, uh, what it is. Chris, do you, do you think that that was down to his confidence though, Canelo? We saw him going in the dressing room afterwards and he said to Eddie Hearn, easy fight, easy money. Um, do you think that he was just taking his time there because he felt from the first bell, as soon as Billy Joe started throwing shots, I've got this. Because, you know, it's like whether you feel that when, when the bell goes and you go out there and your opponent hits you with the first couple of shots, you think, right, you know, you've you got your game plan, you think, right, this kid can't hurt me, I'm going to take the fight to him. And do you think that he had that sort of mindset that he felt very comfortable right from that opening bell? I thought he. I thought he knew he was in control from the, you know, from round one. He, mm. he never had any worries. The guy, the guy booked his wedding day a week after the fight, before before the fight happened. So sure. he knew nothing was going to happen to him. He was he was confident. You know, if anything, I guess he just you know he, he wanted more airtime. He wanted to give the fans more to look at. So he, you know, he, he let the guy. He, he let Saunders run around the ring for a bit longer than he should have. And then when he decided to put him on him. That was it. First punch that landed, he's out of there. And I said that. I said that before the fight. I said that would happen. Mm. You're going in there as a sacrificial lamb. That's what I said. Well, obviously, Chris, uh, um, you know, it, it made big news. Um, you bet on Billy Joe Saunders to to lose by stoppage to Saul Canelo Alvarez, and uh, you bet £10,000 on it, of course, uh, with William Hill. And, and I understand you've made a donation to a charity in Brighton, I did indeed. Yes, I said you know I put the bet on ten thousand pound bet, and I said you know the money that I win from the bet will go to charity. Um, you know I'm not looking to make money off of another man losing, but you know I knew he was going to lose, so why not give the why not you know give the charity the money? So um, yeah, I, I donated the ten thousand pounds to uh, Rocking Horse Children's Charity in, in, in Sussex and Brighton. And uh, that's bought them a whole bunch of equipment for the for the hospital for the kids. So um, you know, mm-hmm. all gone to a great cause. That, that's brilliant. Um, look, we, we've been spending the first hour before you came on talking about the uh, the twists and the turns uh, in the heavyweight division uh, right now. Obviously, you've been in discussions before and fights fall through. What do you make of the uh, Anthony Joshua Tyson Fury kind of fallout this week? Um, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I'm hearing now that Wilder, he's, he has to fight Wilder and he, unless, unless he pays him $20 million to step aside, um, which I, I don't really see happening. It's just, it's, just, it's just another stepping stone and it's just another obstacle that's in, in the way of this fight. Everyone wants, but never see, never seems to be able to happen. Um, you know, I mean, who really wants to see Wilder fight 
Tyson again after what happened in the last fight. It was a demolition job. Sure. So, you know, that, that fight's not really of any interest. We want to see what happens when the two best heavyweights in the world, AJ and Tyson Fury, collide. That's what everyone wants to see. Well, that was Eubank Jr. And next up, we caught up in America with Regis Progre, who told us what it was like fighting Josh Taylor and gave us his predictions on how the Taylor and Jose Ramirez fight for the undisputed super lightweight title would go down. From that fight, man, you know, from what I learned from myself, I've never been in my whole career, I've never been in a real tough fight like that, you know, so... I answer, I definitely answer the question about myself if that I can go, you know, once I hit somebody with, you know, all my when I hit somebody really hard and, you know, they keep coming at me, then what I'm gonna do, how how I'm gonna answer. And then, you know, I answer that, you know, I I, I answer that question about myself that, you know, I really have that dog in me. And I kinda knew it, you know, I mean I always know that, but in of course in sparring that's always different from a real fight. So, you know, I do that stuff in sparring all the time. But then in a real fight, you know, I, I know I, I learned that I had that dog in me. And, you know, but at the same time, that was a good thing and it's a bad thing because um, I just fought, for me, I just fought kind of a, you know, I didn't fight a smart fight, you know, mm-hmm. in that fight. I fought, you know, I fought a tough fight. Don't get me wrong, I fought a very, very tough fight and a very brutal fight, but it wasn't a smart fight, you know, from myself, from my perspective. And on, on his side, man, I was just, you know, he was tough. I definitely learned that, you know, he was a very tough fighter. I didn't think going into the fight, you know, I'm not going to lie. I definitely thought that I was going to be able to stop Josh Taylor. Um, I didn't, you know, I thought that, yeah, I, I thought that I was going to be able to just, you know, once I hit him and I was going to hurt him, I thought I was going to be able to stop him just like I usually do everybody. So I learned that he was a he was a very tough and he was a very durable fighter. Well, I think equally like, he, he, learned, he learned that himself about himself as well because you took him into those trenches. That, that was the beauty of that fight. We was there at ringside. We was with you actually all week. And what we got from that, I said, Regis, you know, I've been to many fights over the years and I think technically and what I saw there, the brutality of the fight, everything about beautiful, it. Beautiful be- brutality. It, it, yeah. it was beautiful brutality. Yeah. Whereas we was getting a little bit of everything and you both had to answer questions and I think you both found out about yourselves. You probably both took a lot away from that fight. It was a fight that could have gone either way. I think I scored it on, on the night. I think I had you one round up. There was other people in, at ringside that had it the other way. It was one of those ones. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was a flip of a coin. But you both right. answered the question Questions, right, and, and that's why I think I lean towards Taylor going into this contest because he's been there, he's been in those trenches, and and he's had to dig deep. I mean, there was times there where I thought that both of you were going to go down at certain points. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I heard Timothy Bradley um, doing uh, doing something earlier on in the week, and he was talking about Ramirez and how tough Ramirez was, and how he would take Taylor because he's ta- he saw Taylor boxing you, and he said Taylor does, although he's a beautiful boxer, he does get drawn into a fight, and he feels that that's where Ramirez can take over, and he. Believes believes that Taylor would stop, um, sorry, Ramirez would stop Taylor late. Is that something that you think is a possibility? Does Ramirez carry the firepower? Regis, I think we yeah. might have... Um, do, do, no, I'm, I'm listening. I'm yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah, do, so, do you, do you think fine, Ramirez yeah. carries the firepower to put it to Taylor in this fight? I mean, it's a fight, you know. They both are equally good. Both of them have, um, you know, tremendous power in, in each hand, but... Um, I just, I mean, I can't really agree with what Timothy Bradley said about about um, Ramirez. Um, you know, I just, I just don't see him stopping Taylor. Of course, he could be, maybe he could be suckered into a fight, but at the same time, I just, I just don't think that can happen. You know, because Taylor can fight. You know, he's, he's, he can fight. You know, he can fight on the inside. Also. 
he can he can he can go into a fire bang if he needs to also. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, to nice man. Taylor Ramirez into his game more than Ramirez is sucking Taylor into his game. You know, and I'm it's it's a good tactic by Taylor because I'm not gonna lie, man. He did the same thing. Like if you look at the I, I looked at the weigh-ins and you know Ramirez looked out of character. You know Taylor, he you know he he it looked like he's drawing Ramirez and he's making him get out of his out of his shell. He's getting him out of character and that's it's kind of the same thing he did with me. You know so um you know Taylor's talking, he's doing all kinds of things, he's saying all kinds of things, and Ramirez, you know he usually he's a very very quiet person. He doesn't say too much. You know he might say a few things, but you know at the at the press conference he was really it looked like Ramirez was really really worked up. You know so um, I think that you know. For me, just looking on the outside in, it looked like Ramirez will be. Um, it looked like Taylor is sucking Ramirez into can, you know into his game plan. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, we, mm. we 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 had a discussion about this earlier whether whether the fight can be won beforehand, and and I think even the the reaction to Taylor pushing Ramirez in the hotel and causes that and causing that kind of melee, if you like, that there, there, there seemed right. to be a shock from the Mexican-American side. And, like, Taylor doesn't give a damn. He's going over there as a Scotsman. He, as as you found out, he needs to dislike someone. He needs to feel like his back is against mm-hmm. the wall for himself to get up for it. Mm. And I think, like right. you say, um, I think Ramirez, he said now, I want to feel my knuckles on that guy's head. I'm going to throw everything at him. And I think it really does. If, if He's with Ben Davison now as well, uh, Taylor who's a very smart operator and it wouldn't surprise me to see Taylor stepping back moving adroitly and laterally and counterpunching and obviously he's a southpaw and counterpunching Ramirez early and getting ahead in the fight Regis yeah I think so too I mean I think that's what's going on you know because you know looking at it man in in Everybody, we I mean, we know about these mental warfare games, you know, from mm. the beginning of time, it always happened. But when you in it, it's always a difference, you know, because Taylor, he sucked me into it too, you know. Like, mm. when, when, when I fought him, you know, he was, I don't know if I ever told y'all, but when I fought Taylor, at the press conference, he grabbed my belt. And he said, I'm going to take these off of you. And that just really ignited me. At that time, it was just like, I really want to hurt him. And that was the only thing that was on my mind. It was like, I really, I just want to hurt him. That's it. I just mm. really. So you're saying that Taylor is actually mentally very clever to do this each time. Yes. Mm. Yes. I think that's, I think that's exactly what he's doing, you know, cause it, it worked for me. I'm not gonna lie. It worked for me with the whole mental welfare thing because I fought a, a brutal fight and I wanted to just go in there and hurt him. And I just, that's what I thought about the whole time. I just like, you know, I'm going to hurt him. So, in, in my fight with him, you know, that press conference, I think it was a Thursday. Before I talked to y'all off stage, yeah, yeah. I had the belts on my shoulder. He had his sure. belts on his shoulder, and he and he touched them. He said, I'm going to get these. And it was – it really just made me furious, and it was just – I, I want to hurt him. I don't want – it wasn't like winning in my head. It was just like I really just want to hurt this dude. He, That's what I want to do. And so when we got to the ring, that when it was fight night and we got to the ring – I looked at him right in his eyes, knowing, like, telling him, like, I'm going to hurt you right now. And usually, I never do that. Usually, when it's fight night, I always look down on the ground. I never want to look my opponent in the eyes. I always look down because I'm focused, and I'm going to go out there and have fun and box. But that particular night, I just wanted to hurt him. You surely and want the rematch, because... though, don't you? You want a rematch course, with Taylor, course, don't you? Of course, of 
Go on. Listen, yeah, I want to see the rematch. Yeah, absolutely, we want to see the rematch, Regis. Of course, everybody wants to see see the rematch. So I think I definitely think that that you know I definitely think that would happen. It'll be a whole you know it, it'll be a whole different ball game. But you know I think Taylor is you know he's he's being strategic. You know he's definitely being strategic about that. And it looked like Ramirez is he's out of his element right now because nobody nobody really makes Ramirez. You know, I don't think nobody really even talked to Ramirez before. And nobody, and definitely nobody's pushing him around, and nobody's you know getting in his face, and it's it's making it, to me on the outside it looked like Ramirez is uncomfortable with that, and he he wants to hurt Taylor. Sure, Regis, just finally, how important is home advantage for Ramirez in this contest? I mean, it's, it's super advantage. It's a super super advantage, man. It's, it's definitely you know that's. That's the only thing that'll trouble me. I, I still have a for me. I still have a tailored decision, but I the only thing is that listen, he's on a he's over here now, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a you know he's in a tough fight and he's over here. So what's going to happen now, you know? So that's the that's the only thing for me. That's the only factor that um would give him take away from the decision. But I still think I still for me I still think that Taylor win the fight. But the only thing is that you know he he's over here now. So. And, and that could be, you know, that's Ramirez has a huge advantage in that. Also on the show, Dave Caldwell joined us to talk about the current situation with his fighters, but also give his view on the heavyweight situation and why nobody had spotted the arbitration case coming up and going in the favour of Deontay Wilder against Tyson Fury. Ladies and gentlemen, after 12 rounds here in Manchester, England, we go to the judges' score totals. All three for your winner by unanimous decision. And the new European super middleweight champion, Larone Sniper the Boss Richards. The next step now is fringe world level. And um, it's time for me to showcase the world what Larone Sniper the Boss Richards is all about. It was brilliant, man. He did everything that I wanted him to do when some, you know, you know when they spend weeks and weeks and hours and hours working sure. with a fighter and they just go in there and they just do it all. It's just fantastic. And whatever instructions you're saying to him during the fight, you just do it straight away. It was just a pleasure, pleasure to watch, really was. When he says uh, fringe uh, world title next, where, where do you think that takes him, David? What 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 kind of opponent? Is it someone that's challenged for a world title? Is it someone, you know, with a very powerful record? What do you, where where and how do you want him tested? Okay, so so this is this is the thing about Lerone, is what we have to remember is, yes, he's British Commonwealth and now he's won European titles, but... Let's remember, that was only his 15th fight. Now, there's a big gulf between, like, you know, winning European titles and and then stepping up to the top levels. So there needs to be the bridging fights. I think if you're going to talk about um, America and, and starting to get into that sort of category, I know he's a name that's been, been around for years, but he's just coming off a very good performance against Danny Jacobs. I think um, Gabriel Zales is a, is a very good opponent. Um, if you you know if, if Eddie wanted to take him out out into this, um, you know he, he had a good performance against Danny Jacobs. That's made him relevant. A lot of people thought that he, he beat Danny Jacobs. So something like that is going to ask questions of him. Mm. Something like that is going to keep on coming at him and, and use their experience. He needs fighters that he's in with at this stage that he can absorb experience from before he steps up to the to top levels because. He's got the skills to burn. He can really, really box. And, he's, you know, his IQ is developing. 
But what he needs, he, needs, he does need that experience. Dave, um, well, we sure, I'm sure he'll progress brilliantly under you. Like you say, um, uh, he still has some way to go before fighting world and elite level opponents if he gets to elite level. Um, we've made a special kind of show tonight about Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. It, it really has been the talk of the town mm. uh, all week. An extraordinary series of events really over the last year and particularly mm. in the last five or six days um look you, you had some massive fights with uh tony bellew and you know the, the david hay fights and so on all these fights were made there would, would have been talks in the background and so on how, how shocked were you this week when the whole uh, thing did a did a, did a dramatic u-turn do you know the funny thing is um somebody asked me i did an interview um not long ago when you know when fury came out and said it's on and there were all the right noises Yes, I was excited that everybody seemed to be ticking all the boxes, but I'm one of those that I've been around this game. I've been in boxing over 30 years, and I've been around long enough to know that until I see those two guys in the ring, I don't know it's happening 100%. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, you know, there's, there's been, even when I was promoting, I know it's not at the same level, but even when I was promoting, and you'd have the top of the bill fall out on the night of the fight. You turn up at the venue, and, and the fight doesn't happen. It's like, what? But when you're talking about something of this magnitude, what we weren't aware of is just how strong a case Deontay Wilder had in this arbitration uh, uh, case. You know, you're only told, or Eddie or Matchroom, whoever's dealing from AJ's side, are only told what Aram and, and that side of things are letting them know. Now, obviously, they must have known how strong a case he, he had. Um and then for it to, you know, to, to be found in his favour, mm. then obviously to everybody else that's just taken over his word that yes, it's on. And when you see you see Tyson talking two days before saying that the fight is 100% on and this is great, blah, blah, you, it is a massive shock when you see that, you know, it's now not on. I mean, it's a, the crazy thing about the, this whole situation, Dave, and we've been talking about this, you know, for, for a couple of days now, was... The, the breakdown in, in communication between all the promoters, all the parties that were yeah. involved. Yeah, and does it like show when, up boxing? Yeah, and, does and it show that, up that they can't make a, a massive conglomerate business deal? Yeah, that's where that, that's where I was going with it. You know, like it just seems a little bit of an embarrassment, doesn't it, for all promoters that are involved in it? You know, we got MTK, we got Frank Warren, we got Eddie Hearn. We're speaking to every one of them. They all seem to be reading from the same page, and then all of a sudden, you know, we we get this complete breakdown and, and this arbitration yeah. is coming, and all of a sudden, everything is changed overnight. I mean, what what do you make on that? Do you think it's embarrassment for boxing? Do you think it's you know, what's your situation on it? What's your take? Well, the the thing is what. It's a difficult one because you can say it's embarrassing for boxing, but at the end of the day, on that side of things, you're talking about a business side of things. Now, how many times in business do you see deals where they're about to happen and then they fall through, takeover bids, all sorts of different businesses where deals look like they're going to be, be, be done and finalised, but until it's signed, it's never done. Now, the problem is that I've got with this is that all through the build-up, if you look at it with hindsight now, all through the build-up, now, he gets a lot of stick, but Eddie was always seen to be the one that was striving really, really hard to try and make this fight. He was, you know, him and the representative of him were flying off to all these different venues, having having meetings with people trying to get a, a, a venue. And all you did from Bob Aaron is playing it down. All you did from the other side was they were playing it down constantly. But it's like anybody else can make this fight. If, if we're talking about all different promoters involved in this, 
any one of them could have gone out and tried to make the fight. But it seemed as though that nobody else was really trying to make the fight. They were just waiting for Eddie to put it together and then say yes or no. Yes, we agree to it. No, we don't agree to it. I think that... And I, then, I, but I think, David, that because of um, uh, Eddie Hearn's relationship with this group in the Middle East, um, like you say, they could have said, no, let's try and work it in America. I think Bob Aaron could have gone for lead, a giant stadium it? in America, and he could have done that, I agree. Hearn took the lead because he had this relationship, and I think Hearn's side, or Joshua's side, were letting Bob Aram deal with the arbitration, mm. and both sides. That's right. That's and, that's and, to them, doesn't it? Yes, exactly, and so and I think this is where... You know, Lennox Lewis called it bo- boxing politics, uh, but it's egos, and th- but it's egos the, it's do egos. get in the it's way. It's the lack of communication on a fight yeah. of this magnitude, though. It's it's extraordinary. Like, yeah. How can you a fight of this magnitude, the biggest fight in boxing history, and British boxing no, history, yeah. British boxing history, and no one seems to know about this arbitration and what, what how it was going to all turn out? Because as far as all the promoters, well, listen, we was with Eddie in fight camp a couple of weeks ago. As far as he was concerned, on, on his side, yeah. everything was yeah. done, deal. Signed and sealed. Bob Arum said the same thing that it was signed, sealed, and the fight was free to go ahead. You know, MTK were under under the same thought process that the fight was done and sealed. The, even the but broadcasters, even, even other the little broadcasters. Th- broadcasters had not agreed. BT Sport, I understand, and and Sky Sports had not agreed the same mm. uh, pay per view fee either. Even up to this point, that's it's, what I, it's that's, just extraordinary. That's why I can't work out how nobody knew that this was gonna. You know. At, Gonna happen the way it's happened. I mean, this has happened literally in the, in, in the last forty-eight hours, Dave. Really, hasn't it? Like forty-eight hours ago, we were talking about how excited we were. We off to yeah. Saudi, looked like Jeddah. The uh, August the fourteenth, it was all on. I was packing my case. Now all of a sudden, bang! I've unpacked it. Yeah, but when, you know, when you when you talk about TV companies that agreed to pay for you, that sort of stuff only gets done after the fight's done. After the fight is signed, you can't you can't start talking about all. Oh, all um, the the price of, of TV revenues, of pay-per-view prices, this, 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 until the fight's actually secured and done. Now, they were waiting on this, and they were supposed to be like about to sign it and everything, but the problem is, the, 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 um, yes, they were letting Eddie take the lead on making the fight and getting the deal together for the fight, but in the background, you've got this arbitration court case that's going ahead with Deontay Wilder. Now, that's between Deontay Wilder and and Team Fury or, or Bob Arum or whoever it is that's on that side, that's nothing to do with, with Eddie who's trying to make the fight. So the problem is there. It's communication between them. If, if, if Bob Arum's not letting you know exactly the situation during this case that's going off and how it's looking, then you're just going to go full steam ahead as you think it is doing. And even if they're turning around and saying, yeah, the fight's happening, and all parties are saying the fight's happening, the fact that this arbitration course has gone wrong... That's, that's down to the people that are dealing in that, the, the lawyers that were dealing in that. They'll have known how this was going along as we're all celebrating this fight being made. Sure. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, the, no, I, I, you can't disagree with that, what, what Dave's saying. You can't blame boxing for that. Because, no, no, you can't. No, no, it's, you can only blame the people that are dealing yeah, with that and sure, that yeah. haven't been up front and haven't sure, been yeah. open about yeah. that. They, they didn't get their legalese yeah. right. It's as simple as that. And, and it should have been sorted out. And I will guarantee, well, I can't guarantee, but I don't think that all of these parties once sat around a table all together. Uh, that was, and clear. one of the things that's that clear. Bob Arum told me less than a week ago mm. was, if we have to get around and do this again, when the two guys 
guys, uh, if, if Fury wins and Joshua wins in the summer, we are getting around a table and we're going to arbitrate together to get this fight over the line. David, we've got to go to a break in a minute, but we must get your thoughts tonight very quickly on a massive fight in Las Vegas, obviously promoted by Bob Arum tonight. Um, Josh Taylor and Jose Carlos Ramirez <laughs> um, at about three o'clock in the morning. What's your take on that one? You must be excited because we oh, cannot wait. wait. I cannot wait for this one. It's, it's such a huge fight. This is the absolute pinnacle of our sport. You know, it's for all the belts. It's a guy that's not had many fights in Josh Taylor. Look at what he's achieved in so little fights. You know, I, I think he's quality. He's, he's got real quality. He can, in, he can fight on the inside. He can box from the outside. He can mix it up. He, he, he can box. He can fight, get down and dirty. He's rough. And he's got an elite mentality as well. He, he won't take no prisoners as well. I think he wins this fight. I think he becomes unified champion and, and hopefully becomes a superstar because he, he jumps straight into that pound-for-pound bracket if he wins this. We caught up with Scott Coker, the president of Bellator MMA, looking back on its 259 event and celebrating how good it is, how important it is for the fighters that Bellator is now live on the BBC iPlayer. I tell you, we had uh, a little bit for everybody. I feel like uh, if you're a fan of mixed martial arts, we had from top to the bottom uh, fight card that the fans love to see. It was an amazing event with kind of so many Brits on the card. But unfortunately, we went one and three last night, but there was an amazing performance, I thought, by Leah McCourt, who rescued the fight when she was very hurt against Janae Harding and managed to hurt Harding, the New Zealander, with an amazing upkick and then using her ground skills, pulled off one of the, I think, one of the turnaround fights that we've seen in women's fighting in MMA. I, I agree. I felt like that upkick that uh, that Leah did on Janae uh, really, you know, turned turned the tide because she was in trouble. She was, you know, uh, getting hit and getting pushed back, and you know, I felt like uh, Janae had the fighting control. And then uh, when she got on her back and, and Janae tried to jump on her, and she, I haven't not seen an upkick like that in a long time, and uh, it was very effective. And, and like you said, then she went for the submission and tapped her out and. It was, it was an amazing fight, and it was a big turnaround. We'll come to the main event in a minute. Obviously, um, uh, Chris Cyborg defending her women's featherweight title against Leslie Smith. But how pleased are you that the, that the Bellator events are gaining huge traction because they're live on the BBC iPlayer? Obviously, I'm involved in it, presenting from here, but how pleased are you that it seems to be gaining massive traction? I tell you, Garrett, that's something you were really proud of. It took us, you know, a couple of years to get there. And, um, you know, we, we, we've always felt like, you know, when the BBC said, when the BBC says that, you know, MMA is going to be on that platform, that really legitimizes the sport, not just in the UK, but also in the in Western Europe, because you, you have no idea how much of an impact that deal has made for us in talking to other broadcast partners and talking to sponsors, talking to just a general fan that really maybe not a mixed martial arts fan sort of say, sort of say but now now they are a mixed martial arts fan because they're able to watch another BBC player and it's been a big impact for us and we're just really proud of that deal. It's the most significant deal that mixed martial arts has ever had to put it in front of eyes that haven't seen it before and that presumably 
is what you most want to do. Tell the narrative of amazing people's stories, fighters who have incredible lives, and people haven't seen or heard about them before because they don't know mixed martial arts. And, and like you said, these, these fighters, male, female, they have an unbelievable backstory. And, uh, you know, to, to get into the BBC and, and have people watch, you know, their, their hometown, where they came from, how many kids they have, their family, and, and, and know that these guys are warriors or these girls are warriors, but they're real people too. And they really traditionally come from a wrestling background or a martial arts background of some kind. And uh, it's really, for me, fascinating. I, I was watching the... The uh, story that uh, the Showtime put out on Chris Cyborg, I, I learned two or three things about Chris Cyborg that I did not know going into last night. Well, like she had giant pigs at home and all those animals, for example. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I think Benny, Benny Porchia was my hero, right? <laughs> 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 but the fact that she was going to, her mom wanted, she wanted to become a, a dentist. She wanted, uh, uh, that, uh, yeah. But, to be a dentist. She yeah. wanted to be a veterinarian. That's right, I had yes. No idea. And, and she was discovered on a handball court. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some guy walked up to her and said, uh, you look like a fighter. You shouldn't be playing handball. You should be <laughs> fighting. And, and she said, me? Really? And look at her. I, I mean... Come on, I know Spencer's got a question for you about Chris Cyborg. Yeah, Scott, I, I was going to ask her, you know, she's an amazing champion. How great do you think she could be? I mean, this, to me, she's the she's the goat already. I mean, she has a 16 year run in mixed martial arts. She's fought everybody, you know. And you know, when 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 I think about her complete body of work uh, from top to bottom, to, no female has made a bigger impact in this sport. Going back to 2009 when she fought, it was the first it was the first female fight that was allowed on major uh, major cable television with Showtime uh, as a main event. Before that, women's fights fighting in MMA was you know, on the undercard, or it was it was on the card, but it was you know kind of brushed under. But she really uh, paved the way, and her performance was dominant, and she's been on a run. And uh, you know, to me, it's like, yeah, she she did have a fight with Amanda, and she lost that fight. But uh, to me, hey, Muhammad Ali had losses. You know, mm-hmm. everybody that's a great fighter that tests himself has has a loss, you know, here or there. And uh, and to me, I think she learned from that, and she's just gotten better and better and better. Well, obviously, you were instrumental on in putting those first women's fights on, Scott. Um, Leslie Smith, who she lost to, uh, who lost to her last night, their second fight, of course, and Smith was incredibly tough last night, put up an amazing battle um, for, uh, for five rounds. Obviously, it was stopped just towards the, the 25th minute with a TKO for Cyborg. Uh, going into that, Leslie Smith said that she described Chris Cyborg as not just the greatest... Um, woman fighter of all time. She described her as akin to the Michael Jordan of MMA. Not women's MMA, but of all MMA. So far ahead of the game. Do you concur with that? Well, I tell you, you know, it's, it's, there's so many great fighters. That's a hard one to, to pin down. But, uh, you know, to me, she's right up there, you know, in the top two or three because of the impact and, you know, the differences she's made in the sport. And to rhyme above uh, you know, the rest, when you think about, you know, female MMA, or, you know, when we started promoting this fight, you know, everybody knows who she is. She has a brand identity. She's built her brand. She knows, you know, she she's she's crossed over from, you know, an, an MMA fighter to, you know, to, let's say, pop culture here. Everybody uh, on this planet knows who Chris Cyborg is. 
Scott, how do you think she'll go down in history once it's all over? How do you think she'll go down? She'll be the GOAT in my, in my mind. She'll be the GOAT. I mean, there's really nobody, that's, like I said, that's done more, that's contributed more, that's been so dominant. And, uh, you know, hey, I'm hopeful that one day she will be able to, you know, uh, throw it back a little bit with Amanda and, uh, and, 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 and fight that fight again. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the, their careers. But, you know, Chris is still young. She still has many years ahead of her. And so, you know, at some point, I bet she, she will run that fight back. Bellator, of course, is back June the 11th. Bellator 260. Douglas Lima defending his uh, welterweight title against Yaroslav Amosov. Great fight, that is. And our very own Paul Daly against Jason Jackson. Cannot wait for that one. And well done, Scott. You've made it £175, so he doesn't miss weight. Um, but... We've got to ask you tonight, because we've had a massive week um, in boxing where fights have collapsed. You'll have heard about it. Fury, Wilder, Joshua. Um, do you think boxing needs to take a lesson from MMA, Scott? You know, I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's, you know, when I was growing up, all the, the best fighters in boxing, this is way before MMA was even born, uh, kickboxing was around, but, you know, it's all the big fights happen, you know, and, and in boxing, I can't say they haven't happened, but I sure would like to see that Fury versus Joshua fight. And that's something as a fan, I'm a, I'm a big boxing fan and I, I would love to see that fight. And it seems like more and more there's politics that get involved and it's harder and harder to make these fights. But, you know, after, after this fight, you know, that, uh, the Wilder fight with uh, Fury, maybe they can, they can run that fight uh, with Joshua. That's my I hope. Finally on the podcast this week, Spencer and I look back on the career of Sugar Ray Leonard. He reached 65 years old this week, a legend in the sport. Here's our thoughts on Sugar Ray Leonard. I knew before the fight began if I was going to win or lose. I knew that in the dressing room. Doing a little dodgy now and a little Ali. He's taunting Durant. Very good fight. Because I would look in the mirror, and if I saw Sugar Ray Leonard, I could beat Mike Tyson. Pandemonium in the ring, and Roberto Duran has quit. And out went another Leonard to punch at Duran. If I saw Ray Leonard, then it's going to be a rough night. And you, I was a huge underdog, but through sheer determination, I was able to push my body and mind to a whole new level. I proved the critics wrong because my determination had allowed me to do what they considered impossible. I'm Gareth Ed Davis. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. With me, the omen himself. He's been here all evening delighting us all, Spencer Oliver. Spencer, it's been a special week in boxing this week because one of the greats, Sugar Ray Leonard, celebrated his 65th birthday earlier in the week. You were a boxer. Mm -hmm. You are steeped in the sport. It's in your blood. What did this man mean to you when you were growing up? Well, I think Sugar Ray Leonard, for me, was was one of the guys, one of the reasons I got into boxing. You know, the fabulous four, Leonard, Hagler, Hearns, Duran, 
You know, that's that's where I was brought up. I always remember Sugar Ray Leonard beating, making that amazing comeback after a, a big layoff to beat uh, Marvin Hagler, who was my childhood hero, hero my favourite fighter of all time. And, and, and he, he boxed a masterclass. I mean... It, who forgets them two amazing fights he had with Tommy Hearns? You know, and a fight of no mass with Roberto Duran. You know, the guy is an all-time great. He ranks, you know, he ranks in my top 10 pound-for-pound best fighters of all time. And many fans out there, obviously, with the passing of Marvellous Marvin Hagler recently, remember Sugar Ray Leonard coming out of retirement, I think four years, wasn't it, to fight Marvin Mm -hmm. Hagler at middleweight. He was a brilliant welterweight, of course, Sugar Ray Leonard, coming out of retirement to fight the bigger man and that amazing fight they had where Sugar Ray Leonard outboxed, in many people's views, outboxed Hagler, and Hagler saddled up mm. and went off to live in Italy to do spaghetti westerns, growling all the way there, never to be seen in a ring again. Listen, that was that was one of the greatest performances, you know, of, of, of the modern era. I mean, it was unbelievable. He was a huge underdog. People forget that. You know, Sugar Ray Leonard was coming back after a massive layoff against, you know, a guy that had been the world champion for eight years, you know, and and looked like the monster of the division. Leonard was jumping up two weight divisions. This was a huge ask, and he pulled it off. He really did. You know, he, he met fire with fire when he had to. He used his boxing skills. He mixed it up with Hagler, and he pulled off one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. We've been around Sugar Ray a few times, of course. I've interviewed him a few times. You will know him. Um, One of the great things about him was that he was the darling of the American media. He was the darling. He'd come home. He had come home with the Olympic gold medal. That was, in those days, it's social media following now that seems to... Like, if you've got 10 million social media followers, you can become a star as a boxer. But he came home to America with a gold medal from the Olympics. And was in his own way and in his day, he was the first guy to w- earn $100 million mm-hmm. as a boxer. In a way, he was the Mayweather of his day, wasn't sure. he? Sure. You know? Listen, Gareth, what we must remember about this man was he won world titles in five different weight divisions when it was difficult to win, when there was a lot of good fighters around. To get in, to get into the top ten in any weight division was very difficult. They were all quality acts. He won free, He won lineal world titles in three different weight divisions. Yeah. This guy, and I'm talking about an era... I'm talking about an era where you didn't have like two or three good fighters around at the time. You had sort of 10, 15 good fighters at the time. To win a world title back then was difficult. This guy was moving through the weight divisions and cleaning up. Well, he was so fast. He was so skillful. He was so graceful. And people don't give him enough credit for this. Incredibly tough as well because he had a grace about himself he still does an amazing grace that he wasn't a, he did get in people's heads sometimes but he wasn't a guy who indulged in in the machismo the machismo of the sport as much mm. because he was on TV he was he was a megastar wasn't he listen he was a superstar he was a superstar Look, let's not forget those two fights with Roberto Duran you remember the first fight when he got out hustled by Duran Duran roughed him up he out hustled him they had the second fight. People didn't think Leonard would be able to reverse that. And he went out there and he put on a boxing masterclass and we got that famous fight of no mass where Duran literally turned around through frustration and said, no more, 
no more. That was a masterclass. There's so many fights of Sugar Ray Leonard that stand out. You know, in my childhood memory of this guy, watching him growing up, anybody that's not really studied Sugar Ray Leonard, I advise you to go onto YouTube, check out his fights, and see how great this man was. He was 20 years before his time in boxing ability. I think that's very well put. He was born on May the 17th, 1956, in Wilmington, North Carolina. I think it was one of seven children. He was, I think, the boxer of the 80s. I think he was voted the boxer of the 80s. Uh, Ring Magazine named him Fighter of the Year in 79 and 81. And um, Ring Magazine also voted him the ninth greatest fighter of the last 80 years. What, how do you see that in terms of the panoply of his achievements and where he ranks? Oh, absolutely. Listen, we've got to go... We've got to remember he was in an era when we had the Fabulous Four, when we had Leonard, Hagler, Dur- uh, Duran, Hearns, and he beat them all. He beat them all. You know, this guy mixed it with the best, and I think, yeah, I would probably, Gareth, if I'm totally honest, like, through my history of boxing and, and, and the fights that I've studied and the fighters and you look at like the, the likes of Sugar Ray um, Sugar Ray Robinson would be a standout and that's where Sugar Ray actually got the name from you know Robinson was an, an unbelievable fighter again years before his time mm-hmm. really um, yeah you look at those sort of fighters and you've got to put Leonard for me I'd put him right up there I study a lot of fighters and I see what they do and I and I just look like to look at them in their eras and who was around them at that time and how good they actually would. And Leonard, for me, was a standout. He really was. Hagler was my favourite fighter of all time and Leonard went and, 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 and beat him. And he beat him against all the odds. Well, it was called Fight of the Year when they fought each other. It was the upset of the year. Funny that they never had a rematch, isn't it? It is. It is. I think that Hagler sort of, yeah. I think that he sort of knocked the fight out of Hagler, maybe. You know, Hagler was a, a long-reigning world champion. Went through everyone. John the Beast Mugabe, 27-0 with 27 KOs. You know, had a had a war with Hagler. And Hagler turned it around, knocked him out in the 10th or 11th round. You know, against all the odds again. Like, let, um, sorry, Hagler. Yeah, turned it around and knocked him out in the 10th or 11th round. He was one of those sort of fighters. You know, and Leonard went and, and sort of turned him over. I think that that... That's why Hagler sort of disappeared. The big debate I have with people like the great Colin Hart, one of the doyen of our boxing writers in the UK, um, is what would have happened, because he was a similar kind of figure, although Floyd Mayweather Jr. um, is, is 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 a divisive figure at times, who wins out of Sugar Ray Leonard and Floyd Mayweather Jr., both in their prime? Yeah. That, to me, really is is not a difficult question for me to answer, if I'm totally honest, because I think Leonard wins every day. He outworks him, does he? he absolutely. I think. That, but does know, he catch him? Does he hit him? Do you know does what, Mayweather's defensive genius allow him to land the straight right hand? And, 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 and Because he had an amazing hand speed at his very best, Floyd Mayweather. May, Mayweather's boxing IQ, his ring craft, was incredible. But what Sugar Ray Leonard had, the difference that Sugar Ray Leonard had to, for me to Mayweather was the fact that he could go through the gears. He could mix fire with fire. He was not just a beautiful boxer. He threw unbelievable... You, he, he would throw 50-punch combinations. He would stand there and trade, and I think he would just out-hustle uh, Mayweather. I think that Leonard would come out victorious. Go to YouTube and watch those 50-punch combinations that Spencer's talking about. You know what it is. No, they are seven or eight or nine punch No, flurries. no, no, no. They're not... F- I, bet you, I bet you if they go on YouTube, they will find a 50-punch combination. I'm trying to We're- think of the fight. Thanks to Spencer Oliver. I'm Gareth A. Davis. You've been listening to the TalkSport Fight Night podcast. Join us again next time when we'll have another cracker for you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 